I'm Serginho Dest, and you're listening to BR Football Ring. Gentlemen, the rank squad's back in town to bring you all the latest and break the ball game down. Last weekend, we had the Clasico as Real beat Barcelona and Inter versus Juve was put on hold by Corona. Messi dulled, Casemiro shone and Vinicius made them pay. Madrid back on top of La Liga for Barca, a Real bad day. And in England, Liverpool, champions-elect, finally lost a game as Ismailer Saar and Troy Deeney made them feel the pain. No invincibles this time around and Arsenal breathed again. How long before the Emirates? Is singing Dini's name. Atlanta lit it up, scored seven for the third time this season. And if you're not watching Gasparini's boys, you better have a damn good reason. Bayern scored six. Leipzig drew. Perhaps it's happening again. But protests dominated the Bundesliga across the whole weekend. MLS back, Vela on fire, Martinez out for a stretch. This is BR Ranks. We do it all. Let's get to it in depth. Let's get it. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today with me and back together in the heart of the capital. It's the rank god, Sam Tyne. Hello, mate. And Welcome Lord back. of the Melon, Dean Jones. Thanks, mate. How, How are you doing, are we, boys? Good, good. good Welcome yeah. back, Sam. Thank you. Yeah. How was Atlanta? It was, uh, I didn't see much of it. No? I didn't see much of it. Was at the Turner campus for most of it. It's and good then, that you got and then took to your it. continent and back before this all really kicked mm. off, isn't it? You could have been trapped. Yeah, and then time. we would have struggled. I yeah. had a dream that you came back with an American accent. <laughs> I actually did. You dream about me. That's the first time I've ever dreamed about you, and it was weird. Yeah, that is. I but... love that. I absolutely love that. Well, I, look, I, I, I like to say that I appreciate culture, and I have to say I think something something attached itself to me because having come back from Atlanta, I'm now MLS's biggest super fan and into Miami's biggest ultra. We're uh, going to talk about MLS a little bit later and also a bit later we're going to be joined by Harry Brooks known to some of you on Twitter as HB Head Coach to talk about some of the players he's worked with some tactical bits and bobs and to rank the Premier League players that would do better with a change of position. But before we get onto that it's time for our want, need, love version of Hot Takes. Dean, do you want to start us off? What's about to happen? Well, there's a lot of headlines right now about Jadon Sancho and Jack Grealish being pursued by Man United as signings for the summer. And we need to take this very seriously because I think they could actually end up signing both. Now, a lot of people will be thinking, why would they choose Man United right now? They are a mess. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not a good coach. They're not going to win anything. I know Haaland turned them down and joined Dortmund, but there's not many other players actually that will turn Man United down. And on the flip side, Bruno Fernandes actually said to Sporting that Man United were the only team he ever wanted to join if he was leaving. So they still have history, heritage and pedigree as three of their big selling points. They use it massively when they're trying to get players in and people like it. So here's how they get Sancho and Jack Grealish. Jaden Sancho, they make him the new number seven. They give him over £200,000 a week. Imagine him as part of a new look side, Grealish, Fernandez, Martial, Rashford, Sancho. Like, How do you fit them all in? That's special. Doesn't matter. That's special. <laughs> it's an amazing opportunity for him, and I am almost convinced that if they qualify for the Champions League, from what I hear, they will get him. Now, obviously, that's a big if because it looks like they probably won't quite make that, but even if they don't, there's still a good chance that he chooses them. 
On the flip side, Jack Grealish. Sorry, just to, to yeah. you think he would choose them even if they weren't in the Champions League? That's a big, big drop. I think there's a chance. They still think they can get If they finish Champions League, they get him. That's my view. If they don't, then they've got more competition and I think Liverpool becomes a, a big club to fight with for him. What about Chelsea as yeah, well? Chelsea, um, Chelsea as well Chelsea. Are, are in there. But Jadon Sancho really, really likes the idea of joining Man United and that number seven shirt and making Man United great again, that's a big pull. That's a big pull. Yep. Muga. Make Jack Grealish. Great again. <laughs> Jack Grealish being chased by Man City as well when it comes to leaving Aston Villa this summer after the heartache of losing the Carabao Cup final, as we saw. And being relegated. Crying and crying and crying. At Man City, he's not going to get in that team all the time. <laughs> it's, a tough, it's a tough gig to, get, to go into Manchester City. And I think that on the, as well as that, Pep Guardiola, of course, he got left there a year. What's going to happen next at I Man mean, City? I mean, to be fair, a year with Pep Guardiola is worth, what, six? Absolutely. Six under Oli. <laughs> but it could be that he has this decision to make. For Man United, the only way is up, surely. Well, <laughs> For Man City, well. the only way is down. So at United, you get the chance to become a poster boy. Man United are going for him big. There's a feeling that £60 million gets him. Pogba out, Alexis out, Sancho in, Grealish in. Man United summer, it's good business, and I think... There's a very good chance it happens. Good that window. is good. That would be good. Business. Good window, that, yeah. I think, I still think they need a defensive midfielder. Oh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be other stuff. But that's right. When Pogba leaves, then yeah. they'll have loads of money. Yeah. I mean, you say a defensive midfielder, like, they've just signed Fernand. Like, they're not going to have an entire new midfield. I think Fred's still going to get have to, like, see through some time. McTominay's. McTominay's there, Fred's yeah. sort of an eight. No, I know, I but, I mean, in that midfield, yeah, they're going to play not three. Deepest there, I think they want, they need Wilfred and Didi. Yeah, they need the indeed. The they should have taken Burge. But they've got McTominay. It's not an emergency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, basically... <laughs> I depends how you look at it. I okay. Take this seriously, basically. And I'm writing about it for BR this week, so go and read that as well. Absolutely right. Sam, Dean has just said that Man United will probably get Champions League spot. Do you reckon so? No, ignore what he said. Wolves will be in the Champions League next season, probably at the expense of Manchester United. Now, if you look at the table as it stands, Wolves are currently sixth. They're level on points with fifth and they're three off fourth. Yeah. Obviously, fifth place is going to get Champions League this season because Manchester City are banned and unless something absolutely crazy well, happens they there. They could actually end up in these spots, to be fair. Maybe, maybe. But I'm saying that Wolves are more likely. There's also Wolves. a huge chance that Man City get to play Champions League football next season. Do you think so? We'll, yeah, see, we'll see what happens yeah, with we'll the see ban. What happens. I mean, I would not be surprised if, if the ban gets reduced from two years to one year. I would be surprised if this whole thing just goes away in time yeah. for next season. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, well, fifth is open. And uh, look, I think there's a lot of people talking about, you know, Bruno Fernandes inspiring United. A lot of focus on Jose Mourinho's Tottenham. Are they any good? Are they not? Can they cope with the injuries? You've got Arteta's improving Arsenal. You've got all these strands. Sheffield United, the, you know, the feel-good story. And Wolves are just kind of flying a little bit under the radar, I think. And you compare them to most of those teams that I've mentioned. In fact, probably all of them. They're the best built. They're the most stable. They're the most reliable. And we really are at the point now when you start comparing these players. Yeah, the best manager. And and Raul Jimenez is the best striker that's fit and available there. Nuno is the best manager. The midfield trio of Dendonka, Moutinho and Neves is the best midfield three out of all of those teams, I think. Genuinely, we are at this point now where we have to recognise Wolves for what we are. I would say. Fit players. The players that can impact in the next four weeks. Wolves' next four fixtures, Brighton, West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa. 
15th, 16th, 18th and 19th in the Premier League. I absolutely love that run for them. There's only like 10 games left. There's 12 already. That's where we are. They're also in the Europa League. So am I I hedging my... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does, Dino. It does because I want it to. Um, they're also in the Europa League, so I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit here because obviously the winner of the Europa League... Yeah, they League, have about four, four ways in here. <laughs> yeah, the, the winner of the Europa League gets into the Champions League. And again, I've sort of half convinced myself that Wolves, because they're so well, well built, they're so reliable, so tactically they sound... They also have quite a nice depth to their squad. They do. And we talked about this like eight months ago. Like We were worried about the, the lack of depth. But Pedro Neto has emerged and Daniel Podence really is, is waiting in the wings literally, to come and play on the wings at a certain point, to also impact. They do actually have this depth that they didn't have before. So they have a lot of fixtures to play, and they started the season really early in the pre-Europa League qualifiers. That's my only concern. Are are they going to hit a physical wall in around March time? Maybe, maybe not. I think Nuno has actually rotated his team reasonably well. I would back Wolves to finish higher than Spurs and Man United, and to be honest, with them three points off Chelsea and Chelsea faltering and looking at the confidence levels in those two teams. Yeah, it's like, who do, it's like does anyone want it? Yeah, I think... I think I Even just, Leicester. I really feel like Wolves are the, are the best place to go mm. and finish this, this season in at least fifth and mm. therefore bag Champions League. And if they don't do that, they'll win the Europa League, so everything's fine anyway. It's pretty bad. Wolves didn't win any of their six... Their first six games of the Premier League this season. I know, they drew all their games and we <laughs> drew were like... like four and lost two. To be fair, I was thinking this about Man United though. Like We constantly say Man United are in crisis for their fifth. Yeah. <laughs> like... The thing is, you just don't need as many points this season, do you, to no. actually get Champions League football? You, I think it's going to be... all the, like I was looking at some statistical modelling from 538 and it looks like whoever finishes in fourth place is going gonna, is gonna to get like a historically low tally of points. I think it makes like, you look at Arsenal and it makes it worse. Mm. The fact that we're talking about all of these being like, you don't actually need that many points oh, to get into the top Farmers six. League, mate. And Arsenal were like, 10th. And it's also bad. like, even Everton under Angelotti, who have been playing much better, who have had, you know, I was looking at the stats at the weekend, the, since he came in, most shots, most headed attempts, yeah. like second most goals. And, and they're still 12th. And you're like... They're 11th, but yeah. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think, well, I think blame Marco Silva for We've that. talked about this before. I think the top-down quality of the Premier League is, is exceptional. It may not be the best league in the world in terms of the, the, the best two or three or four teams or whatever doing it in Europe over and over again because La Liga has held that crown until recently. But you look at the amount of pl- players in these bottom clubs, like Ismail Assar wrecking Liverpool, like Jack Grealish being good enough for Man City and Man United, even like Norwich, half of Norwich's back line, I think Tottenham should buy. How does that make sense? Because Tottenham at Norwich are last. But yeah, individually, yeah. these players, the top-down quality of this league is, in, is exceptional. Yeah, yeah indeed. Right, I'll finish with something I love as ever. And right now, it was the first weekend of MLS. And for the first time ever, the entire panel believes that, the MLS, that, that believes MLS is great. Let's have this right. MLS is an entertainment festival. Mm-hmm. It does not have the same level of quality as some of the top European leagues. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Just like the championship, which is officially the most entertaining league on the planet, it doesn't matter. It's pure watching entertainment gold. We saw in the Classico this weekend the quality and control does not always make for great viewing. No. You know, the Classico was fun in parts, but a lot of the time it was quite sterile, it was quite stagnated and, and nothing really happened for ages. <laughs> <laughs> Great match report, mate. There you go. <laughs> this is why match reports are dead. Imagine reading that. Nothing really happened for ages. Yeah, but that is what happened. <laughs> However, look at Carlos Vélez like, chipping players in MLS. Unreal. Look at Jordan Morris's two goals off the bench to beat 
Uh, Chicago for the defending champions, Seattle Sounders. I'm sorry to all our friends at Section 8. It will get better. Look at Emerson Hyman's goal to slam Atlanta into a winning start. The list goes on. Red Bulls won a thriller against Cincinnati. Columbus new boy, Zella Ryan down 10-man NYCFC with a wonderful strike. And Thierry Henry's Montreal won. Even Henry won. Had written them off, right? There's loads of football on and you can't watch all of it. I understand that. And much as we try our very hardest... Even we don't get round to all of it. But do not write MLS off. It might not have the quality of Serie A or the Premier League or La Liga. But in terms of watchability and entertainment, it has a whole lot going for it. Pick a team and give it a chance. Mate, last thing on this. Were you crying when Martinez got injured? Oh, I was absolutely inconsolable. There was only one player, I think, on the, in the world that I'd be more sad about, and that was Alexander Mitrovic. When Martinez, you know, when it was revealed that he'd, he'd done his ACL, I... I mean, are Atlanta Everything. dead now? What happens to Atlanta now? Like that, well, the he was everything. window doesn't shut till the seventh of May. Yeah, but signing a replacement for him—they just lost like they've lost three influential players mm. now since last mm. season. We lost Gressel, and um, obviously Darlington Nagbe in the middle. Mm. And but you know, look, it's, it's time for like Ezekiel Barco to step up. He scored a really good goal. Yeah. It's time for Pity Martinez to step up. But Atlanta need to sign a nine, a pure nine of quality. And currently, I don't know who that's going to. Maybe be. Mitrovic. <laughs> they want to, what they want to do is they need to go to Barnsley and buy Corley Woodrow. And he Corley would be all over that, mate. For fun. He would. <laughs> yep, so there we are. If you're listening, Carlos Bocanegra, here is my plea. Go to Barnsley and buy Corley Woodrow. That is the, the answer him. for you at MLS. Right. We'll be back after the break to talk shape-shifting players with the wonderful Harry Brooks. Right, go ahead. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where we're delighted to welcome a new member of the Rank Squad, Round World Royals director and coach, and one of the finest tactical minds on Twitter, a man who's worked with some of the finest professionals in the game, and is helping the next generation come through, Mr. Harry Brooks, known to some of you as HB Head Coach. Harry, pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank you very much. Not a bad introduction. I'm not bad. I try. I try. <laughs> yeah. I try very hard. And before we get on to the main ranking, I think it'd be good if you gave us a kind of synopsis uh, of what you do day to day at Round World and kind of who you work with and how it all works to so sort of set it all up. Yeah, so I work full-time for Round World Academy, which is an independent football academy that looks to bridge the gap between grassroots football and professional football. So we push generally six to eight players a year into professional clubs to get signed. We regularly play fixtures against professional academies um, in one-off games and tournaments. So in the last few years, we've played the likes of Bayern Munich, Man United, Liverpool, loads more um, home and abroad. And aside from that, so I work for that full time and then myself and the director of Round World, Richard Webster, we've got another project going called the Royals and that's where we work with and train professionals, academy players, making sure that they have the best possible chance of having as good a career as possible. Okay, so it's, you know, on top of training ground work, the tactical side of things as well. And, and that's how you kind of got into it in, in terms of what you do on Twitter and what, and what you put out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So... We have a lot of footballers, with the Royals in particular, we have professionals and academy players that come to us to do extra work um, on the outside of their clubs. Again, like I said, to give themselves the best possible opportunity. We have a team, so myself and Richard, we work with the players on the pitch doing you know, the, the ball work. We have a really good, world-class strength and conditioning coach called Ronnie Chowie. We also have a really good nutrition guy called Darren Lynch. 
So basically, it's giving everything for our players to have the best possible chance, like I said, of having a really good career. So is this just youth players or is this professional? Like No, it's professionals as well. Um, a lot of people are... So Rani Chowie, um, he's done work with Stephen Bergvine um, for a while now. And since Bergvine has got the move to Tottenham in London, obviously Rani came over and trained him. We were lucky to be part of that. We'll hopefully be doing pitch time with Bergvine soon, myself and Richard. Um, but yeah, professionals, they even look to do it as well. Um, a lot of people are surprised that professional footballers would go to people on the outside. They presume that, you know, surely the club would be giving them everything they need. And to be honest, it's not the case. Um, first things first, there isn't the time for the professional club to do that. You can imagine that, let's use Tottenham as an example, quite often during the season, they'll be playing three games a week. So a lot of their training will be focused on recovery, match preparation, tactical training, gym work, obviously team training. So there isn't actually the time available to the clubs to give each player their individual needs. So the player either has to do more of their own on the training ground or they'll go to you know people on the outside that they trust. Leads us on quite nicely to the main ranking that we're, we're going to start with today, which <laughs> is you know shape-shifting players. I mean, players mm. that could do a better job if they were shifted into a new position or shifted into a, a different system, shall we say. And mm. so, Sam, Harry, you two are going to tee this up and we're going to get into it. Yeah, so let's take five top-level footballers who could or perhaps even should change positions and that would benefit them, mm-hmm. perhaps even benefit their team. So talk us through from number five. I know you've got five prepared for us. Yeah, so I think number five is Mason Greenwood and he's actually someone that I believe they're getting it right for at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think if you compare his situation to the one at Tottenham Hotspur with Troy Parrott, the issue you have is that a lot of people look at Greenwood and he's a striker and that's given the minutes now, 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 now. He's a really talented player. And fans can do that and people in the media can do that. And they're very keen to expose him straight away. Now, if you look at Troy Parrott at Tottenham, for example, Spurs is clear as night and day. They need more of a threat up front. And there's a lot of people calling for Troy Parrott. But now all of a sudden you're putting a young player that's only just turned 18 into the first team fold and all of a sudden you're going to get us the goals. We need you to get us the goals. And that's a lot of pressure for a young player. It's yeah. not to say you can't cope with it. Whereas if you look at Man United and Greenwood right now, I think Solskjaer's getting it perfectly right. So I think he will become a striker. Everything about him is a striker. Youth football, um, you know, if you don't watch youth football, you might think that Greenwood is left-footed. He's pretty much as both-footed as you can get. He's scored a ton of goals with his right foot um, in youth football. But if you exposed him to playing, being Man United's number nine straight away, all of a sudden, there's different questions that are being asked. He's in the paper a lot more. He's on, and when he doesn't quite produce, then, you know, questions will be asked. Whereas at the moment, they've got their strikers. He's sometimes getting minutes at striker, but he's also playing as a right forward and he can come in and he can be free to play. So he's someone actually at the moment, I think, is fine to get minutes as a right forward, even though it's not really his position because it's okay for now and eventually he will lead to become that, I think, phenomenal world-class striker. I really do believe that. Is there part of that that's just like a need-want kind of conundrum in terms of, you know, whereas with Parrott going in at Spurs, Mm -hmm. there is no, you know, there's no one ahead of him almost in the pecking order. If you you put him in there with Bergvine and Lucas Moura, you kind of expect Parrott to be the one leading the line, leading the charge. Whereas when Greenwood comes on, it's like you're behind Rashford and Martial exactly. in the pecking order. And therefore, if they don't get the goals and you do, that's a bonus. Exactly that. So it's, it's almost like, like a bonus for the, for yeah. the boy to do well. When all of a sudden, well, you'll look at Greenwood this year. He hasn't been, it hasn't been thrown at him. 
that he's played a lot of minutes this year, got more than enough first-team exposure, starts and subs, and he's got quite a few goals. And he's building into that role at a good pace. Now, that's not to say that if he was Man United's number nine straight away, he couldn't cope. He's clearly someone with a very strong mentality. I've never met him personally, but he does seem to have that kind of aura about him. So it's not to say that if he was Man United's number nine now, he wouldn't be able to cope with it or, or flourish. But I do think there's pressure it's unnecessary. You shouldn't have to force a young player to be that person. And it can sometimes set you back. All right, let's move it on to, to number four then, yeah, uh, number four is Ryan Sessegnon. So oh, you've got a Ryan Sessegnon fan club. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think Ryan Sessegnon, a lot of people misunderstand what he is as a player. I think they look at what he'd done for Fulham and they see that as him going forward as like that goal-scoring wide player. But I think that in a, the Premier League, those kind of goals you're just not going to get. So he's not really a player, Ryan Sessegnon, that as a wide forward will get the ball and say, I'm here now, I'm going to take this, I'm going to go and produce the goods on my own, I'm going to score from outside the box. He doesn't shoot from outside the box. He doesn't, he's not a player that would like come in from the right-hand side and bend it with his left foot into the top corner. He doesn't do certain things that I think a, a, an elite wide forward would do. And most of his goals were for, for Fulham were timing runs into the box because he's a really good player. Yeah, he just he just swept up, didn't he? Yeah, he's a ghost. The the player that we spoke to, we, you know, when we discussed Sessegnon at length, we always compared him to not in terms of where he played, but was Thomas Muller. Yeah, in that he pretty much just yeah, yeah. appears out of nowhere, exactly and, that, and, and finds the net, and that's what he did. That's what he did best for Fulham. And it's not to say that he wouldn't get a lot of goals doing that in the in a Premier League team or in the Premier League, but I think he'd get less. Yeah, Whereas actually, if you look at what he does have, and he's not as quick as people think, he's not someone that explodes past players, but he looks. He goes past players because he's really smart. So he's always thinking the step ahead, and he's got quite a long stride. So he's got quite a gallop to him, yeah. a bit like Saka at Arsenal. He's got that gallop um, effect, not really explosive dribbling, but got that gallop effect. And I think that those kind of attributes actually suit you, a player that attacks from deep. Um, so I think that okay, you could become a really good wide forward, but why not become arguably one of the best left backs in the world? Because he's really smart. He can carry the ball inside as well as well as outside. Good dribbler, not an explosive dribbler, but a good dribbler. Really good technically. He can shift the ball out of tight areas through, you know, good technique and ball manipulation. But I don't think he's got that explosiveness or that I'm here, I'm going to take charge of this to be a wide forward for a top, top team. Yeah, so after, all, after all that, of the he's not a left back, he's not a left back. He wasn't a left back then, but he, he will become a left back. I think he should be, yeah. Or I, coach I, to be, agree. Yeah. I think yeah. at, at Fulham, there was absolutely no reason to be playing at left back because... Fulham kept the ball so high up in the championship that it kind of made no sense yeah. for Sessegnon to be playing so far back. But I think we always said that we kind of looked at him as, if, you had, if Fulham had Marcelo, mm. Marcelo would play at left wing. Yeah, yeah. Because it would right. be like, absolutely ludicrous for Fulham yeah. to play Marcelo at left wing. Yeah. Yeah. But for a top team who control games and yeah. are looking to bring the, you know, the full-backs in from deep, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're absolutely right. But a lot of people look at that and think, well, surely he can be an amazing left wing back. I think that's the worst position for him because left wing, athleticism. All of a sudden, that whole wing is yourself pretty much, and now you have to have that explosiveness. Now it's like it's almost like laziness. Oh well, he must be something in the middle. Then actually, no, I don't think so. I was going to say to you, is is there a middle ground? Because obviously, he is very good at attacking defensively. He's only nineteen, so like you can get caught out very quickly. just through being naive at times as a nineteen-year-old fullback and get caught out of position by going too far forward. So, like you say, being a a wing back 
is a very difficult thing to master yeah. because you're not sure what is your priority here in the team. All right, cool. Let's go to three. Keep this rolling. Yeah, so number three is Adama Traore, who's had a bit of a, um, probably a breakout season in terms of world football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Finally. Yeah. I think yeah, it's taken it. This has been coming. But I still think that, I don't think he should be a player in the front three, um, which he's still quite regularly used for. Yeah. Yes, he can be really effective there, but he's, I've never seen a player that can carry the ball quite like he can and mm. be so unstoppable at that. It's ridiculous. He's, a, he's an absolute freak how you can be that big and powerful and that quick at the same time. It's madness. But his best attribute is obviously driving with the ball and bigger touches. It's not cute dribbling. It's get the ball and go. Mm. Now, that obviously suits players to start further back. So like a right wing back. And I think that if you have him in the front three, you're actually wasting a, an extra forward play that you could have there because he's so good at carrying the ball forward. Why not have him as the right wing back? I know Dockett is doing a really, he's a really good player, but have him as the right wing back. Have an extra player further forward instead of Adama. Now when Adama's carrying that ball forward, almost unstoppable, you have that other player in the final third to make things happen. And one thing that Adama still struggles with, he just does, is his decision-making and his being able to slow down and assess, I call it. He's very much one-paced, go, go, go. His end product is getting better, but what you'll find is most of his crosses and his skulls are when they're just on the end of like driving runs. So it's like on the run, not even really thinking about it. So I think if you actually have that kind of player higher up, you're not using his best qualities because... You're already higher up, so there's yeah, you're reducing a, the space. There isn't much space for him to right. drive into, yeah. and you're kind of wasting a forward player when you could have a Dharma get the ball deeper, carry up there, and now he's got an extra man to so find. You, so you could you could put a, a Thomas Muller ahead of a yeah. Dharma who could yeah. just interpret whatever yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever breaks down when three players converge on the Dharma, just having a, a yeah, positionally aware player to just float ahead of him and just pick up the spot left or right of where he needs to be yeah. and just, just receive the ball in acres. Yeah, pretty much. And it's really difficult to tag a right wing back. Who marks the right wing back? Very difficult to sort of know who picks him up. Is it the left winger? Is it the left back? You know, it's very difficult to know who picks him up. So all of a sudden you've got this well, absolute different, isn't it, every steam time? engine yeah. that's picking the ball up in usually a bit of space and r- space to run into. And just Especially if you just suddenly start chaos. doing it as well because teams would not be expecting it at all. If suddenly you're planning to have Matt Doherty up against you and suddenly you've got Adama Traore <laughs> and a different option up front, can you imagine the manager's face before like, the opposing manager be like, Just swap them round. Matt Doherty's <laughs> actually quite good at making intelligent decisions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just switch you. Yeah. Just like, get Matt Doherty at right wing. But yeah. they're, they're doing fine as they are, to be fair. Doherty Adama's... And I don't want to say to drop Doherty because he's a really, really good right wing back, but for Adama's, to get the best out of Adama, who is unplayable. Let's get on to number two. Let's uh, get into the real the real top end of this. Yeah, so this... I'm not saying that he would be phenomenal there, but Dele Alli's a striker um, because it's very clear for both Spurs and Dele Alli right now, something has to happen. Spurs could do with a striker. Spurs need a striker. <laughs> now, Deli Ali is one of those players that's phenomenally talented, but kind of what we were saying earlier, he's been allowed to get away with what he's really, really good at and hasn't worked on, not saying he hasn't worked on, but his weaknesses haven't really been exposed up until now. So he never, ever plays off of his left foot, ever. He isn't an explosive player. He can't drive and tussle past players, really. He doesn't score from range and he doesn't really pass long from range. But what he is phenomenal at is timing runs into space. He's very good at being creative and finding ways to create space. 
He's got good footwork in tight areas and he's really good at linking with players close to him. Mm. He doesn't play over longer distances. He can't. It's not his game. So, and he's also really good at getting into the box and getting on the end of crosses or passes. And headers. And goal all all headers. of it. Yeah. So that to me says that, okay, well, Spurs need a striker. You need a bit of a rejuvenation, Deli Alley. Maybe you can just be that, people call it a false nine, whatever you want to call it, but be that one that's up in the pitch and the striker position and have people like Bergwijn and Lucas close to him for him to link up and play off of. When the ball goes wide, he gets into the box and he gets on the end of chances in the box. And I think that for him and for Spurs at the moment, that's something they should really look to. Because there's actually, I didn't watch the game, but you know, a few people told me that Spurs looked you know, the best they had done for a while going forward against Wolves on, on Sunday. And Deli Ali was one of the main... He was. The, the, the concern I've got with Deli as a striker, and he showed it in that game, his runs, like you say, are mm. absolutely brilliant. The way he goes in off people is, is perfect. His conversion rate would worry me, and he does miss chances. He, yeah. he doesn't eat up as many. I think he's got one goal in his last 13 games. He's a very lackadaisical player, yeah. very loose. Even if the way, you look at the way he runs and he dribbles, he's like he's, like he's got weights to his like, ankles and his, and his, and his hands. Yeah. Like his feet barely leave the floor when he finishes. It's like they barely leave the floor. So he does need to work on that, yes. Um, but it's about getting the best out of him. And I think that actually when you're where he is so loose on the ball, because he does try things, and he isn't like an explosive play that scraps past players, that when you're a midfielder and you're losing the ball that regular, it can damage team play. Yeah, Whereas if you're just the one that's on the end of the things and on the end of the, the last piece of the puzzle in terms of build-up, he can get away with that. Yeah, you could, the thing is, Delhi will very often produce games where he barely feels involved mm. or sometimes he'll touch the ball like 20 times yeah. in a game. You could do that. But, and that's okay. But he'll score. He'll and score. that's more than okay. But he'll do very little but score. And if you say that about a midfielder, you could go, mm, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't great. Did get a goal, but wasn't a lot of things broke down around him. Say that about a striker. That's basically Javier Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. Touch the ball 20 times, give the mm. ball away 10 times, score one goal. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Gets a lot of, I think, un- unfair criticism, Deli Ali. He's, he's just turned 22, hasn't he? He's a young lad. He's a young lad. Look what he's achieved so far. I know. It's great. And he's great for also, bearing in mind, there's a reason why Pochettino never dropped him and why Mourinho so far, I think he dropped him once, has been a pretty much a staple putting Mourinho's tight team he they, what, he's a phenomenal footballer and he can win you a game out of nothing I don't know I don't see why if I'm Bayern Munich when Muller gets a bit older why would they why not go for him mm. yeah well um, speaking of Bayern Munich link players you're number one uh yeah so I've said I've had this opinion for a while and it's it's Leroy Sane so it's a really difficult one because Leroy Sane's had a phenomenal career in Man City and Pep Guardiola's done great for him but I just wonder if Sane wants to reach his potential. Should he have left Man City before and Pep Guardiola or should he be leaving now? Because what I think has happened to Sane is that he's been turned into the system player. A player that is a winger that stays wide and hits the byline and cross. Now that's great for Guardiola. It's great for Man City because they've got a phenomenal winger that can do that in Sane and they've won lots of trophies. But if Sane wants to be a Ballon d'Or winner, I don't think you can be just a hit the ball on and cross winger. If you want to win the Ballon d'Or, there are certain goals you have to score. There are certain actions that you have to that you have to do. So, for example, you have to be you know if you're a wide forward, someone that comes in from the wing and bends it into the top corner. You know there are certain actions you have to X do. X factor kind of X factor moments. moments, yeah. And if you're just a, I say just a ball on winger, like it's an insult. It's not an insult, but it's just Leroy Sane will never be recognised as a world superstar as just a 
get to the byline and cross. Now, yes, he does do more for Man City. Of course he does. But that's really what is required from him. And I just think that if he wants to win the Ballon d'Or, because he had that when he was at Schalke, he had that potential. I think, did he score on his debut for Schalke against Real Madrid? Mm, is it the game that got absolutely battered? I think so, but he produced like a magical moment. Yeah. I've got a memory of him playing in orange for Schalke. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember him cutting in from the right and just causing havoc. And I think he bent one into the top corner as well. And he had that potential then, Sane, to be that Ballon d'Or. Now, if you're looking at players to win the Ballon d'Or in the next three years, would anybody mention Sane? No, no. But he has been injured for six months. He's been, all right, before, even, even before the injury. Yeah, still, I still don't think he was in that bracket. Still no, still no. But yeah. his ability, I think, could definitely put him in that yeah. bracket. 100%. You know? I mean, we should remember, like, Pep worked hard to get Sané, and he was actually the one who convinced him to, to come and make the move to Man City. He told him that yeah. he could take him to the next level, and he has taken him he to has, the next yeah. level, yeah. without doubt. But I think you're probably right. He has now reached the end of this stage, and... I think even Sané realised before this season that that was the case and that he was very limited in his role in a great Man City team, no doubt about it. Once Bayern Munich come knocking and you see what people in those wide roles do at Bayern and the freedom that they get, you start asking questions of yourself and being like, is there more to me? Yeah, can I not can be I the push man? Myself? Can yeah. I be the man? Robin and Ribéry in the past, but even, even Gnabry right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm the man. Is, and he, they're both German and obviously yeah. again Sané has been injured but mm. like the hype around Gnabry over the mm. last 12 months has yes, been, yeah, has been absolutely thing. insane and that is, it's not an insult to Guardiola or Man City it's no. more, he's built a team that is phenomenal and won trophy after trophy and it's not an him. insult and works for him yeah and works for Sané Sané's won Premier Leagues he's, Sané's been brilliant for Man City and had a fantastic career but I'm just thinking if he wants to be recognised as a world superstar does he need to go to a club where he's the man. He can be looked at as your one, or one of the men. You know, one of those players mm. that give the ball to him. Well, I think he's going to get that chance this summer. Well, yeah, I mean, the big question is, will Bayern pay 100 million euros for him? Because that's what C- City basically have looked at Usman Dembele yeah. and been like, OK, he's gone for 105 million euros. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, Leroy Sané is worth at least that, if that's what he's gone for. Mm. Show us the money. I mean, that, that's fair. Yeah, it's, 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 it's reasonable well, thinking. It, it isn't, isn't, it? isn't, obviously, but he's a better player. He's a better so player. it doesn't... Makes well, it it's make not Bayern's fault that that's what they're being compared to, mm. but then they're like, okay, if Barca were willing to pay that for him, then maybe yeah, if we're going to compete for that level of player, Danny coming back now, by the way, should be, we should be seeing him soon. Yeah, he played, he played up night. Yeah, he played yeah, the other night, night, so yeah. we should see him soon. Well, yeah. it's good. That's yeah. good. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm yeah. glad he's going to be coming back. <laughs> Love to see him here in the byline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Harry, not everyone, however, mm. is a is a shapeshifter, and I know you have a couple of examples to kind of balance this out a little bit of. Mm of players that maybe shouldn't change position. And there's a lot of talk about changing position. I think there's a lot of talk, Lionel Messi. I think there's a lot of talk as he gets older and maybe loses his pace. We talked about this literally last week. Right. As he loses his pace, that I know, comes further back. And I think, actually, no. No, he shouldn't come go further back. Messi isn't a playmaker that controls the tempo of the game. And you don't want him to be. You think he could be, though? Okay. Messi could do anything. So yeah. he could be. But why, but why do this? Because, actually, if you look at Messi... There are certain actions he takes on a pitch and only certain actions. So he has certain types of passes he plays, certain types of dribbles he plays. Now, if you use him as someone to control the tempo, all of a sudden you're getting him to share the ball with more players. So you're asking him to do less of the direct, you know, the effect, the, you know, go forward mm. play. And first things first, he's the best forward ever. He, he drops anyway as a forward. He drops to pick up the ball anyway. So keep him as a forward, but so deep in the Glasgow and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but then I think good examples. No, but I think but. I think if you get into I think if you're turning into a playmaker that like controls the tempo, 
because he's such people forget he's such a direct player. He he doesn't share the ball with everyone. When he gets the ball, he's the man. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the one playing the pass, doing the dribble, getting the shot. If you get him to be someone that controls the tempo, all of a sudden you're asking him to play more of those, you get it, I give it, you get it, I give it, just keep the game flowing thing. Mm. Why would you why would you take that away from Messi? Why not have the players that already do that? So it depends to, to me like, to Messi. like how much burst does he have left in his legs in three years' time, for example? When he mm. hits however would he be at that point, thirty five or something like that. It's it's in that area. Like these these diagonal runs that he makes inwards, the ones that you described, that the same runs and the same dribbles, he does make those. Yeah. yeah. They require a certain amount of burst from him, right? Otherwise yeah. because he skips around players. At a certain point, you feel like that may start to dissipate. And if it's at that point that I would be like Right, well, if you can't do that 10 times a game, if you can't create that avenue for that same shot that you take, left-footed, bended into the corner, that's when you start to remodel your game. Then again, at that point, he might go, I think I'm done with football. <laughs> maybe, he maybe. Might, he might prefer to stop playing. Yeah. But I think if he but wants if to... If he ca- carries on, yeah. He doesn't he, run loads anyway, though, does he now? He's like, no. but he has generally no, but he moves around short, the pitch and moves, then has the burst. Yeah, he moves <laughs> in short bursts. But, yeah, but then he can point, still be the forward player that, OK, maybe just is more, plays more of the passes rather than the dribbles. Yeah. Still goes forward. So I just think that you when you still you've can't got, pick him up, can you? No, when you've got the best forward player ever I've ever seen, why get him? Why try? I mean, you can't get him to. Messi will do what Messi wants to do. Yeah, that's, and I think he's, that's well, within, he's, so, well, yeah. he's well within his yeah. rights too. You don't, you don't coach Messi, but um, I think that just have those players around him that facilitate dominating the possession. I think he just scares you just by standing on the pitch. Like he could literally stand in an area of the field for 10 minutes and draw draw three players towards him without doing anything. We'll be back just after the break for some more quick fire questions with Harry and Sam's nonsense rankings. Stick with us. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks where it's time for some quick fire questions and of course nonsense rankings. So Sam, I know you want to ask a big question. Yeah. Um, can you give us some examples of some players that you've come into contact with, coached or played against um, in the last couple of years that are going to emerge quite soon? So I guess we're talking age 15 or under at this point, or maybe 16 or under, but we're going we're gonna to know them quite well in a couple of years. Yeah. So one of them plays for Man United. He's called Shola Shortire. We've been aware of him um, since he was 12 years old. We played a game against Man United, um, the academy. He was just phenomenal and he's the one at Man United he's their their crown jewel in their academy he's so he's 16 years old he's 16 years old he is the youngest UEFA Youth League player ever or he was at the time I don't know if Makoku at Dortmund has broken that but he was 14 when he played in the UEFA Youth League and that's under under 19 level yeah 14 or under 19 insane it's ridiculous. He's a phenomenal footballer. He's an actual child playing under-19 football. Like, that's phenomenal. a big difference in yeah. stature. He's a kind of player that's um, very creative, good dribbler, scores goals, gets assists, but a really good user of the ball. He really understands the game. He knows when to speed up, when to slow down. Really intelligent player, good movement into pockets of space. He's the kind of player that England haven't really had for a while, actually. Probably since Joe Cole. He's that kind of... Real right. good technician. <laughs> this is awesome. Because Joe Cole was so good for Loved England. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a phenomenal talent. He's the crown jewel in Man United's academy. Does he play as a 10 or as a wide player? Uh, 10, coming in from the left, generally. He kind of like floats around and picks up the ball in pockets, mm-hmm. gets it, turns. If, it, if the game needs an injection of speed, he'll start dribbling or play the forward pass. He can play it over long distances. If it needs to be slowed down, he'll slow it down. He's just a phenomenal So do you see like, those... Like his knowledge of when to do that and yeah. what to do when, when you need to speed it up, when you need to slow it down. Like at that age, obviously, I'm going to take it that they don't necessarily know 
those things. That's rare. It's very rare, yeah. To have that under, to then also be a player that can also take the game and take it to the opposition as well. So you have those players that Scruffy obviously have, players. yeah. So you do obviously have those players that can control the tempo and you know know where to be, when to slow the game down, when to speed it up. But to have the, a player that can do that and be the man that injects the you know the threat is very rare. Um, not many players can do that, and he's yeah. certainly one of them. Absolutely. Anyone else? Yeah, Jaden Braff, who is 17 years old. We've the done new Leroy Sané, I've heard him describe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any, so, any truth in that? System yeah. player. Yeah. So, no, yeah. So, he's a player that um, we haven't coached yet, but we've done a bit of analysis work with him and for him. We've watched him in games, um, met him and, you know, met his dad a few times. Um, he's one of those players that he can just win a game on his own. He doesn't really contribute much to team play or the rhythm of the game. But he's the kind of play that you look at or the team will look at, give him the ball, and he'll go and produce something phenomenal. He's better when he picks the ball up deep from the left and just kind of like a Dharma, but you know, just a train and goes. Um, but he's got better finishing and better long-range finishing uh, shooting. Um, he can just win a game on his own like that. Even if he has a disaster performance, generally, he just has that ability to just win a game on his own. His weaknesses before, which we were working on and we were telling him to work on, is his general play. You know, linking up with teammates and players, you know, certain body positions to receive at certain angles, certain movements. You know, he never really used to finish inside the box or attack the back post. He's getting better at that. So if he can become a more rounded team player that can function within the team, as well as the player that can win a game on his own, he's going to, I mean, he's probably already going to be a superstar. He has that aura about him. Um, You know, every club wants a, player that can win a game on their own even if they mm. will sometimes let you down with a pass they shouldn't make or whatever because he will do that you know even at pro level I really do believe he'll be that player where's he at at the moment and, and what positions he kind of come in off the left is that generally coming off the left he's some yeah for, for Man City he sometimes plays on the right it doesn't always get the best out of him because yes he can beat his man and cross it really effectively but he's so good at getting the ball deep driving inside and just smashing the ball into the top corner or whatever, you know, and just mazy dribbling as well. He's, yeah, he's a phenomenal talent, explosive, can win a game on his own, so difficult to stop. And if he can, like I said, if he can work on becoming more of a team player as well and, you know, improve his game understanding, then you've got a phenomenal talent there. Yeah, I've spoken to a couple of people at City over the course of the last year and the names that get thrown around, like there's, they've always talked about Foden, obviously they knew yeah. that he was going to make it in that fold. I mean, we're still waiting to explode, but he's there. Tommy Doyle, they've always yeah. talked about... And Braff is the name really that is sad when I found out Tommy Doyle wasn't Irish. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Irish? No. Oh my god. <laughs> Desperately upset. But yeah, the next name is Braff, and yeah. I get and the, I think the worry for a few people around City is like making sure that when he breaks through, it's the right moment and the right role for him. Mm. Like we we talked before about well, is um, there a pathway? Yeah, exactly. Sancho left. This is the thing. Don't be surprised if now Man City, the league is done. Don't be surprised if he makes his debut. This I was year. just going to say this to you: is is this the right time? Because there's less pressure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, because they, they don't. Have, they're not going to win the league, obviously. And you know, you want to. Jaden Braff is one of the most talented players in Europe. Youngsters, he's a player you want to have. So you kind of need to prove. To is him it hard somewhere to convince players like that to stick around? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, because they just have that aura about them. They know how good they know how good they are. Jaden knows how good he is. He knows he's a player. He knows he has to work on things, and he's a really. Really hard worker. He does a, he does work on the outside. Very hard worker. 
Um, but he knows he can get to the top. How and... do you coach a kid that knows he's that good? Does he not think, well, what can you teach? Like, I don't understand, like, as a, yeah. as a young coach yourself, like, how you can convince that lad that you can take him to yet another level. It's up to you, to be honest. It's up to the player. Yeah. You know, I can tell you what you need to work but on. But from your point of view... Yeah. What was the belief in you that you can you, you see something in a player be like, no, I I can make you better with that? I think it's just through, even though I'm a young coach, I have been doing it for a bit of a while now. And I've just been, just loved the game since a young age, as a lot of people have. And it's just kind of like the, the path I've taken in terms of coaching and, you know, analysis and working with really good people, learning from amazing people. And I just look at certain players and I think that, yeah, I know what you need to work on. They don't have to agree with me. They don't have to believe me. If I think I've got a, pretty good record of helping players so far young players um, but you know it's down to the player you know there are players that I've not turned down working with but I worked with once or twice and I don't work with again because they, they haven't got the mentality not that they disagree with me mm-hmm. but they just haven't got that you know that, that um, will to learn will to learn um, yeah the mentality needed to, to realise you've still got a long way to go mm. a long way to go you know, making that step up to first-team football, playing with men, such a huge step. It's a huge step. And you've got a lot of stuff you need to work on. So if you're happy to work and you're happy to listen and learn, then great. Uh-huh. If not, that's fine. And best of luck to you. Cool. Right, one more player to make it like a classic ranks top three here. <laughs> we right. have a three. Yeah. So this player is a bit younger. Um, don't be surprised if you hear about him in a year or two. But he's an under-14 for Palmeiras. He's called Endrick Felipe. And under-14s? Yeah. Okay. Um, we, uh, so the director of Round World, Richard Webster, has a really good relationship with Palmeiras. Um, and he's got them invited to the Premier League Academy tournaments the last three years running, mm-hmm. which is a huge tournament. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to qualify yeah, for that. I mean, yeah. um, the only Brazilian team to ever do that. And lucky me, I got to be one of the Palmeiras staff in the under-16 tournament this year. So it was an under-16 tournament and they took 13-year-old Endrick um, over. And, yeah, they told me that, yeah, this is the, like, show up. He's the crown jewel in the Palmeiras Academy. And Palmeiras are a phenomenal academy. They're arguably the best in Brazil. And if you're the best academy in Brazil, <laughs> you, are, doing all right. you have a few special players and he's certainly one of them. And I just remembered 13 playing with, like, 16 and 15-year-olds. And he came, well, the first game was against Stoke. Or Reading. Oh, that's a welcome. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is that a cold Tuesday night? Yeah. (laughs) And Palmeiras went 1-0 up and then Stoke got it back to 2-1 to them. And they brought Endrick on with like 10 minutes to go. Straight away, he picked the ball up out wide, shifted it past one player, burst past two more and Ralph with it bottom corner for two all. And I was like, what have I just seen? This kid's 13 years old and he's done this against really good players in England. And yeah, he's the one. He is... um, He's one of those, um, probably reminds me a bit like Tevez or Suarez, etc. It's not always going to be as clean or silky, mm-hmm. but it's going to be effective. <laughs> a phenomenal player. And he a striker? Yeah, he's the one. Yeah, he's the one at Palmeiras. So I'm adamant that in a year or two's time, when he's 15, 16, you're going to really start to hear his name. Hang, wow. Hanging your hat on this one. Well, it'll be. Yeah, the, well, uh, can't take too much credit for it, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but that day he spent in England with yeah, you. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. He'll always yeah. remember. I made that. all the difference. I tried to actually get a few pointers into him just so I could say, I've coached him. I've coached him. <laughs> yeah, the language barrier didn't quite work out, but no. Last question before we get on to Nonsense Rankings. And uh, it's one for. I know you've taken some criticisms. I'm oh, you get so much stick Twitter. for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you tweeted saying that you thought that if one of Liverpool's front three had to move on this summer, which you think is a good thing. 
then it should be Mohamed Salah. I mean, I think the, the trick is to just throw to you, and you, you can explain it. I think it's uh, I think it's perfectly reasonable, but I, I want to hear your kind of yeah. Thoughts. Uh, the first things first is not a dig at Salah at all. He is a world class superstar, but there's nothing wrong as long as there's a contingency plan with selling your best player. United used to do it all the time, and Liverpool are starting to have an aging squad. The squad hasn't really changed in the last few years. And if they go into the next season with the same front three, it's a phenomenal front three, but that'll be the fourth year in a row where that's the front three. And I just think that you then put yourself at risk of sometimes stagnating. And I think if you're looking to get rid of any of the front three to change it up, he's probably the one I would look to get rid of because I think that it's easier to replace just goals than also what else what Mane and Firmino do. I'm not saying goals is easy to replace, but you can sign one or two other players that can make up for the loss of goals from him. Um, and also, he's arguably the most marketable commercially out of all of those players. So you could actually probably command the biggest fee. And because he's that kind of player we spoke about earlier, he's the man given the ball. Those players naturally attract more money anyway. Mm. So I think he'll actually get the most money out of um, for Liverpool out of Mane and Firmino. I think he's... Oh, it's not easy to replace, but he's the most replaceable. And I think you can actually then make adjustments to other areas of the team. So, for example, if I was Liverpool, what I would do is I would look to maybe get to sell Salah for a stupid amount of money and sign Sancho and Kai Havertz. Because then what you do is you actually fix, you actually give yourself more areas to sc- more avenues to score goals. Because Liverpool don't really score using the midfield in terms of creativity or you know goals themselves. Not since Coutinho. Then. You know they don't. No, that's fine. So they might have to adapt to that. They might have to find creativity in other areas now as teams become accustomed to what they do. Kai Havertz, you know, gets goals from midfield. So him and Sancho together will probably replace Salah's goals. And you also add probably more creativity in the front three because Sancho's more creativity, more sorry, more creative than Salah. So now actually you've got probably a more well-rounded team that has different ways of scoring and you keep it fresh and you, um, you know, decrease the age of the, the average age of the squad, which is important. So, is the key here the diversification of the attack or is it freshening things up? I think both. I think that Liverpool will have to become more diverse to maintain their, you know, they're far and away the best team in the world. Do you think Klopp's already, with with Oxlade-Chamberlain's long shooting ability and Cater's fluidity of movement, he has actually got those plans. Definitely. So so when he only uses his midfield three to just counter-press and recycle. Yeah. But he has got those options to change things up if you want. He does. So Cater would be one of those players. I thought that when Cater signed for Liverpool, I thought that was just a ridiculous signing. What a footballer. Mm. And he is that player that would provide that from midfield. Um, and now if Cater can be the player that plays, uh, you know, stays fit and, you know, is fully adapted to the league by next season, he could be that player that's a mainstay in the midfield three. Mm. Um, but I do think Liverpool are going to have to find more diverse ways to score goals and to, to win games. Um, if that is with Cater, then great. They already have that player and he can come in. But as I said, I think it's for that reason, diversity and also to freshen up because, you know, yeah. it can become stale. It doesn't matter. You know, you are phenomenal footballers, but it, if it stays the same, it can become stale. That's the issue you've seen with Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. look at Tottenham. That's the issue. It just became, a, it's arguably become a bit stale. So in the summer, if Real Madrid offered 180 million for Salah, yeah. you were Michael Edwards. You'd bite your hand off. You, 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 you I can, think so. You convert that to Sancho and Havertz, and that's a win. I think so, yeah. I think so. The, Ferg, Ferguson and Man United used to sell their best players all the time, but there's a contingency plan. They always used to freshen up, and it was okay. So the year when they sold Ronaldo, they didn't win the league, but they won the league the year after. And they didn't replace him with Valencia, 
But obviously, Ronaldo's the right winger that's gone. Valencia was the right winger they bought. And people can look at that as black and white and saying, you've just lost all of Ronaldo's goals and replaced him with someone that doesn't score goals. But Ferguson knew, well, I'll get the goals here elsewhere. I'll use Valencia as that part. Valencia of the team. just crossed a Rooney, who's got right. like a billion so headers in one new, year. A new way of playing. I'll, yeah. I'll use Valencia for that thing, for that part of my team, and have the goals elsewhere. Mm. So you can always keeps have get, con- keeps them guessing. As long as you have contingency plans, and as long as there's a thought behind it, and you're not just selling Salah and then going right. Well, what now? What should we do now? I'm sure Liverpool wouldn't do that. They're, They're very good. Run. They're probably the best club. club but yeah, as long as there's a contingency plan, it's not. Always the biggest issue with selling your best players. You know, you can sometimes sell your best players. I'm not saying be stronger, but be just as strong or at least maintain your levels. Absolutely. Well, we said that we were going to get a footballer to make a nonsense star. And Sam, you went to Atlanta last week and you asked Stu Holden. I did. Well, yeah. So this is, yeah, I mean, he's not technically a footballer anymore. He's he an is, ex-footballer. He is an ex-footballer. And he's, in the fo- Premier League. and he's a football club owner. Yeah, so he's still, he's still in the game. Anyway, he... Part of the BR family. Yeah, he, he <laughs> reeled off this absolute monstrosity for us as the new nonsense siren. Yeah. Well, there it is. Terrifying. Ouch. Terrifying. Yeah, scary. Yeah. Thanks, Stu. Yeah. Sam, deaf. that is your cue. What is the nonsense this week? Yeah, this is, this is awkward because after such an illuminating 40 to 50 minutes with Harry, I'm just going to sound like a <laughs> fucking moron now, aren't I? <laughs> to, be, to be fair, <laughs> that's what you sound like every week. <laughs> I'm just glad someone's <laughs> finally shown it. I've been trying to do this for a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that say about you, Dino? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look, doesn't look good on the two of us no, either. Uh, no, right, I'm just Sam, saying the, the contrast is going to feel particularly silly at this time. But no, Fine. this is... This is relatively sport-related. I think this is quite fun. Last last few weeks, we've seen NBA All-Star Weekend. Yes. And this weekend, or last week, we saw the NFL Combine, Combine. Mm-hmm. which I love. Love watching people run 40 yards and then stop. Brilliant TV. Um, it's got me something uh, pining for something very similar in football. We've talked about it briefly in a roulette question a couple of weeks ago yeah. with, with uh, the All-Star Weekend, but I feel like if we put the footballers through the NFL Combine <laughs> routines, I think it would be a lot of fun. So I've designed three drills that we could put to the world of football and they'd all agree because it's all just individual stuff you couldn't get injured you know you just have to not go to Dubai that week I don't know mate Danny Welbeck probably get injured (laughs) alright Danny Welbeck's not invited to my combine but these are the three drills so we're going to take the vertical jump uh, in the combine we're all aware of what that is for Um, those that don't you basically literally jump and swipe with your hand as high as you can onto like a plastic plate and it measures your vertical reach for goalkeepers, that would be quite useful in football. But I think it would be better if you just took the hands out of it and just did heading reach. So basically okay. measuring people's spring or jump. It did occur to me after I'd written that that you would essentially just have people heading pieces of plastic. You would be asking like Zlatan Ibrahimovic to jump and push his face into a piece Maybe of plastic. Maybe we could do it without actually hitting the plastic. Maybe we could just measure it we could use lasers yeah exactly. yeah we'll use lasers it's fine no worries i've got the technology um, but measuring footballers spring and leap to see who can jump the highest and i'm pretty sure some clubs do have that already well i want to see it in public yeah, yeah i want to see fine. a uh, an, an all worldwide an, 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 an all exactly leaderboard. Yeah. Dennis so, so, gonna win. so for each of these uh, three exercises i'm going to ask you guys who, who do you think would win that or who do you think would be in the running Dennis Adoy. Uh, not Dennis Adoy. <laughs> For a vertical leap, standing just and heading. Well, Ronaldo. You think Ronaldo would win it? I think, I, think, I think he's got a good case. I think he's got a very good case. That one he yeah. jumped over Ronaldo. the crossbar and headed in. You're right, yeah. I just, yeah. So Ronaldo obviously jumps very high, but what we always marvelled about with him is the hang time, which yeah. doesn't yeah. get rewarded in this exercise. Mm. It's, right. literally just about, it's literally just about how high you're you taking jump. size into account and how tall the player is. You can be any size. Oh. Uh-huh. So you are naturally... Adv- uh, 
advantaged if you are Yannick Vestergaard, right? Yeah. For example, yeah. But Virgil Van Dijk, I think, would I was going to say Van Dijk would next, crush yeah. this. Yeah, I think because he's absolutely huge and he's got a hell of a leap. Yeah, yeah. But Van Dijk and Ronaldo, and I'd like to see an aerial battle between those two anyway. Mm. Yeah, best of for, three, absolutely. And I just wonder if Ramos would sneak his way into the onto the podium Some, or something. somehow. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. Even though you'd be like, he doesn't do this very often, yeah. but he'd somehow manage to like. Yeah. You know, who's, end you know who's got quite a good leap. He doesn't get. He wouldn't win this because if he's high, he doesn't really get spoken about. It's Lucas Mora. He's got a really good. That's leap. a good shout. He's yeah. got a really good leap. Unfortunately, he misses all his headers, so no one. <laughs> if, if, if he actually scored them, people would talk about it. Know it. <laughs> he, get, he, he gets up and he meets the ball and he misses. <laughs> That's his problem. I could coach that out of him. Uh, <laughs> right. Second one. Um, most powerful shot. So this is adapted from when they get the quarterbacks to throw with the radar guns and they can measure velocity. Yep. So you literally just have every footballer, three attempts, run up, hit it as hard as you can. You could do this as a junior in tennis. Like You can measure your serve. But we don't get these statistics. Yeah, this is often at like football like fan Yeah, events, it's like when you go to it? the O2 Arena and yeah. you get to go and you pay 20 quid and you get your... your yeah, I think measured. I did this once, yeah. Um, but Hulk would win this. I was going to say, definitely some Brazilian player. Hey, yeah. Actually, in Brazil, actually, over in England, because we overthink everything, we have like size three and size four footballs from a young age. In Brazil, just one size, size five. So you have kids that kick like a oh, size really? five from a young age. So it's probably no coincidence that when they get older, they can hit the ball like an absolute rocket. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. So I thought they'd start with like even smaller ones because they're dribbling, but yeah. yeah, playing with tennis balls to their yeah. 17. <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> All about the technique. Um, Hulk Ibrahimovic. Based on what we saw in the Champions League, I'm pretty sure Erling Haaland would be pretty good at yeah, this exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And then shout out Salomon Rondon, who uh, does everything with aggression. Uh, yeah. And that's not, not limited to shots as well. Um, <laughs> and then finally, another adaption from the quarterback drills is passing or, or hitting the ball into moving targets. So you get either a time limit yeah. or you get, say, 10 balls. You've got targets moving left and right across you at different depths, potentially different heights as well. See, see who, see who tots up the best score. KDB is going to win this, isn't he? I think KDB is right in there. He's definitely in the mix because I think for a lot of it would be low driven uh, balls, which Tony is Crow. which is exactly what Kevin De Bruyne's crossing technique is. Yeah. Tony Kroos is a good shot. I think Messi would be very good at this because all of his through passes are all low driven. Mm. Yeah, and if it's moving targets, then obviously that's vision as well, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas if you look at De Bruyne. Most passes he has to make are kind of robotic anyway. Yeah. Into an area. Put the ball into the area. Yeah. So he's kind of hitting the same area time and time again. So, you but know. I'd back him to hit him. Oh, definitely all day long. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> it's not you for you. Do, you have to do standing still. Yeah, yeah. Sesk's good playing. Sesk's quite good at this. Yeah, Sesk's yeah, good. Sesk. I think Pogba would be good at this as well, Pogba to be honest. Normal yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, but those, I would love to see everyone get together over the summer and just put this on. Like, it would be like, the, like the NFL do with the combine. Yeah. And I'd also like to just see the 40-yard dash. <laughs> um, and see the 10 second split time we'll see what Adama uh, see what Adama yeah. clocks yeah. Mbappe versus Adama in the final yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Adama could win that hardest shot as well so he could win this actually, whole thing actually, <laughs> Adama might win the combine he might, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you win the combine I don't know how it works he could win the actual <laughs> he'd, win, he'd win the combine he could go in the actual NFL combine to be honest <laughs> and still win it yeah and still win it <laughs> right <laughs> if well, you can get a winner thank you Sam for that we are done for the week means all that's left me to do is say thank you so much to the whole gang Harry Thank you so much for joining us. Been not only exceptionally entertaining and informative, but also an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. Want you want to tell the Rank Squad how they can get at you online and uh, and follow for more of this kind of entertainment. Oh, um, analysis. yeah, I guess so. So um, the Instagram where we coach players is uh, hb underscore roundworldfa, and 
You know what? I don't even know my Twitter off by heart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know it. I just log on. It's somewhere. Just, log, just somewhere. Just log on and fire off. I think it's steaming H- hot takes. I think it's HB underscore head coach or something like that. That'll do. So, HB underscore yeah, head something coach. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll no. make sure it pops up on the yeah, YouTube. Whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah, be fine. Uh, thank you as ever to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you as ever to Sam Ty. Thank you. All. I've been Jack Collins. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. If you're still with us, do us a favour and send the pod to a mate who you think might enjoy it and help us to keep the ranks board growing each week. All up, gang. Peace. 